Hi, you entrepreneurs. Today we have Jabron Nicholas. He is the founder and CEO of Momentify. It's a financial technology company. Take a listen to the story. We're going to hear how he's reinvented himself. He started as actually a lender in the business, an originator, kind of worked his way to a millionaire at a young age. Everything kind of was falling apart. He had to reinvent himself again. And he just he kind of came with that epiphany, and you're going to hear it in here, the epiphany of, of bringing the right value to the people. And even in a bad market, in a good market, of course, everyone does well. But in a bad market, when you're bringing that value, you're always going to be needed. Take a listen. Please subscribe. And of course, tell your friends. Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. We are here with Gibran, uh, CEO of Mentify. Okay, you got to tell me, so it's a financial technology company. Can you dive a little deeper in kind of what you guys do on a, on a daily basis? Sure, Vinny. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. Um, you know, we really do two things. We provide uh, CRM technology to banks, mortgage companies, and loan originators. And um, we also provide sales training. So we really started as a sales training company. And uh, you know, we've had over 8,000 people go through our sales training courses over the years. And we noticed that you know, they needed a CRM software to run their business and implement some of the things that we were telling them uh, to do in our sales training. And so we said, you know what, let's just build a software and and have them uh, use our software uh, to improve their sales and grow their business. And so that's kind of how we started in this uh, technology space. So, I mean, walk me through your background. You were in the, the mortgage industry as an originator for 27 years, correct? Yeah, so I started this business uh, about 20 years ago as, as a loan officer, as a mortgage broker, in fact. Um, so like most people at the time, I didn't really have much background in the industry. So I just decided, you know what, uh, a lot of people are making a lot of money in this business. I, if they can do it, I can do it. So that's kind of how I got in and um, ended up doing well and uh, built a niche working with financial planners. So most loan officers in those days would get their business uh, from uh, real estate agent referrals or they would work with builders. Uh, but then I decided, you know what, I want to do something different uh, because, you know, why, why do the same thing everyone else is doing? So, um, for instance, I would go to a, a real estate networking event or a builder networking event and every other person there was, uh, was a loan officer. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, this is saturated. I'm selling to my competition. So I got I got to figure out a different way to do it. So I uh, I joined my local financial planning association with CPAs and financial planners, and out of a group of like fifty people in a networking room, I was literally the only loan officer there. So I said, "This is where I need to be," and and so that's where I really built my business is getting referrals from financial advisors and CPAs, and and then did that successfully for a number of years, and then started a training company to to teach other loan officers, some of the things that I was doing uh, uniquely and, and that training business uh, I took off and, and here we are today. All right. So let me dive deeper into that one. So with the referral avenue, I mean, I know for myself, it can be a little difficult, I guess, getting the right resources around you. How do you know where to spend your time with the different financial advisors? What were you doing to bring value to them? How did you kind of build that rapport? 
Can you walk me through that a little bit? Yeah, great question. I think it really boils down to who your ideal client is and you're really defining that and then finding the people who can introduce you to your ideal client. And so with me, um, you know, at the time, I didn't really do any type of uh, uh, loans for people with poor credit. So I was looking for clients who had really high credit scores. That was my first criteria. The second criteria was I was looking for clients who weren't going to um, be looking just for like a plain vanilla mortgage because they, if, if someone has really high credit rating, they can get a great rate on a 30-year mortgage anywhere. So what do they need me for? So I, I was looking for people who had great credit but were looking for something different. And the financial planners that I met, if they had clients in that criteria, then that was a perfect fit for me. So I had financial planners who you know, had a lot of clients who owned two or three different homes and their clients were looking for, um, you know, uh, adjustable rate interest only mortgages because they didn't really need a mortgage. They could pay a million dollars in cash for a house if they wanted. And so the whole purpose behind getting a mortgage for them was I don't really need it, but I'd rather get a mortgage because paying 3% on a loan is, 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 is really cheap. And I'd rather do that than liquidate my investments. And so that was the value to the financial planners. I was able to provide their clients with unique loan products that they couldn't get at their local bank. And, um, and I was able to make a healthy profit margin on those. And, and, and that's how I built my business is I found a need that I could fill in the market. Um, and, and I was able to find my ideal client that way. Now, how you're talking about, there are so many uh, originators out there at the time when you're kind of building that rapport with the financial advisors, being so hyper-focused that that allow you to stick out amongst all the originators that the financial advisors were talking to, or how did that, were you giving them more of when they had the conversation or those clients to come up, they knew who to talk to, being persistent, what, how did you separate yourself from the other originators? That's a great question. And I think it really boiled down to my level of financial knowledge and skill. So what I did is I became a student of the industry and I would go to all their networking meetings and I would learn what they were talking about, what was important to them. And so they'd have these estate planning attorneys go up and talk about the latest estate planning laws. And they would have CPAs go up and talk about the latest tax laws. And they would have mutual fund managers go up and talk about Monte Carlo simulations and all these different words that are completely foreign to your average person. And I would try to understand their language and what, you know, what was important to them. And I became a student of the industry. And, and then by becoming a student of, of their industry, I was able to identify opportunities for them that they didn't know existed. So, for instance, um, you know, if, if a client can pay a million dollars in cash for a house, is it really a smart idea for them to do that? And then I would give them case studies. I would, I would prepare case studies and say, okay, so here's what it looks like financially if somebody pays cash. And here's what it looks like financially if somebody uses a mortgage. And here's how much extra wealth they can build over the next 10 years if they got a mortgage of 3% and, you know, invested the difference. and I would put together these case studies and then I would go out and teach classes for continuing education. So the associations that I was a part of allowed me to, um, you know, become a CE instructor 
And, and so I would teach these CE classes and basically I would just go up and tell stories and give case studies and say, okay, so Jane and John are going through a divorce and Jane wants to know, does she need to buy out the ex-spouse or is it better just to sell the house and buy a new one? And that's one case study. The other case study is, should I pay cash or use a mortgage? And the other case study is, should I do a debt consolidation loan or should I just leave my credit card debt the way it is? So I would put together these case studies and then teach these classes. And then by telling them stories, uh, they could really visualize themselves working with me because they said, you know, I have a client that, that matches that scenario and, and I, I could see the value. So it's almost like, I was giving a free sample of what it's like to work with me. So, you know, my kids, I have two young kids. They love going to the ice cream store. The favorite thing at the ice cream store is getting the free samples, right? So, so it's the same thing in business. If you can tell stories and give case studies of, 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 of what you do, it's like a way for people to get a free sample of your services. And for me, that's the way I was able to build that niche. And it wasn't uh, a story that I told in my language it was a story that I told in their language so that they could understand it. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's, it sounds like you are really strong at, at putting together game plans, knowing the problem and kind of working towards getting that resolved. I mean, did that, how much did that play a factor in building your business? That was pretty much the whole business. And, and you know, I, I built a business I was doing between 15 and 20 loans a month, which uh, if you're an independent loan officer, it's pretty good production. Um, and, and so then uh, after doing that for a number of years, I, I said, you know what, I got to expand my company. And so then I, I said, so uh, who can I hire? Who can I hire that could reproduce myself? And, and sort of replicate the model. And I started trying to hire loan officers and no one really knew the type of financial skills that it took to work with a financial planner. So I says, you know what, why don't I create a course and teach loan officers about money? I mean, they're selling money, but a lot of them, they don't know about money. They don't know about taxes. They don't know about cash flow planning. They don't know about the financial markets. So what if I created a course and taught them these things so that they can speak the language of financial planners and maybe 10 people will buy the course and I might hire a couple of them and grow my business. But what ended up happening is I took out a full page ad in the, uh, in the mortgage uh, magazine of those days called Mortgage Originator Magazine. It was, it was like the Bible for, for top producing loan officers would read that magazine. And, and, and so I took out a full page ad and I said, so if you want to work with financial planners, buy my course for $7.99 and I'll teach you how to work with financial planners. I thought 10 people would buy it, but over 100 people bought the first course. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. I must be onto something here. So so then uh, I took out, you know, I went to a, a trade show and exhibited at a trade show and got some more sales. And, and so then I said, you know what? I can make some good money teaching loan officers about this business, how to work with financial planners. And that's how my my training company started. So, so how did you balance out your originating business, right? to the training business because because you're making your money pretty much still i bet on the originating business and you're venturing out on the training business correct exactly so i had to make a decision because you know you, you can't do two things like really really well i mean like in the bible it says you you can't serve two masters right and so it's the same thing with business you you can't be the ceo of two different companies and, and like two completely different companies and do that really well so i had to make a decision i said you know do i want to be a a loan officer and keep doing that? Or do I want to transition and start a sales training company? 
you know, do I want to do that? And so I had to make that decision. And, and I did, I, I said, you know what, I, I should, uh, I should do the sales training, which I did. I, I, um, I decided to build a sales training company and I transitioned all my clients, um, to other loan officers in my market. So I would refer my business out to other loan officers and uh, I transitioned that uh, my loan origination business so that I could focus on the sales training business. So you start the sales training business that starts out with a, with a bang. Was it progressing the way that you had planned? Way better than I planned. I mean, we went to from zero to four million in annual revenue within two years. And wow. this was between 2005 and 2007. And so, I, I mean, life was great. And uh, I went on a world cruise and, you know, traveled the world and was traveling all over the country doing sales training. And I thought it would never end. And then the market crashed. Uh, the housing industry collapsed in 2007 and eight. The, the mortgage industry collapsed. There was a financial crisis. Um, and I had a business partner at the time. And um, and we got into some sort of a dispute, you know, so when times are good, everything's great. But when times are bad, if your partnership isn't really strong, then, you know, it tends to create problems for you. So the industry was collapsing. Uh, my business partnership was collapsing. Um, 80% of my customers went out of business because, um, you know, it's, it's not that they weren't doing business the right way. It's that they had margin calls, right? So in the mortgage industry, you know, the way you get your money is from the bond market and the, the whole the liquidity in the bond market dried up in those days. And so you had companies like Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers and, you know, all these companies countrywide, everybody went out of business. And um, and so we lost all of our revenue. And it was one of the hardest periods of my life because my identity was tied to my business. And if my business was failing, I felt that I'm failing as an individual. So what did you, what did you do there? You so say you're, you're in this bad moment, you're losing, I mean, you, it almost like you're losing this company that you've been building up. What do you do next? Do you keep pushing through? Do you? Well, it, 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 I had to, it was like a come to Jesus moment for me in, in many senses of the word, not just spiritual, but in, in other, you know, business as well. I had to figure out, you know, is this something I really want to do? And if I want to keep doing it, how do I do it profitably? And so I had to downsize the business. And um, so we've been in business now for 15 years and we've been profitable every single year. We're self-funded, so we didn't take any venture capital. And the only way you do that is you run a lean operation. So I had to downsize the business and cut staff, unfortunately, but that's what we had to do in those days. And, uh, and, and really get clear on the core mission of the business. And, um, and so we stabilized the business, uh, un under my leadership, you know, we, we, uh, were able to, you know, stay in business, thankfully, and serve our clients. We were clear on what our mission was during those days. And, um, and from a personal standpoint, you know, I, I came to the realization that, you know, I am who I am regardless of what the business does. So there's me as a separate entity and then there's the business. And I just had to, had to kind of like make this distinction in my mind between myself and my business. And, and then I basically got a life. So I, you know, in those days I was working, you know, all sorts of hours and my, 
everything I did in my life was revolving around the business. So instead of doing that, I decided, you know what, I'm going to take dance lessons. And, I, and, I, and I, I learned how to do Latin dancing. And I was single at the time. And so it was kind of a cool thing for me to do. Um, and then I started, uh, you know, getting more involved in various social groups. And I started doing things outside the business that made me happy. And I started, you know, doing music. And so I, I played the saxophone. And I found other interests that made me happy outside of business. And it really helped me to sort of stabilize my personal life at the same time as I was stabilizing the business, but sort of keeping the two on two very separate tracks. Was this in, so was when you're figuring out your personal life compared to your business side, was that also in 2007, 2008? That was, yeah. So I was uh, 20, 27 at the time. So I started in business. I was 20 years old. I became a millionaire by the time I was like, 26 and then everything collapsed i lost everything by the time i was 27 so so it was it was a it was quite a ride and uh i learned a lot of lessons um during that time period well but yeah you're right it was during that same time period what kind of lessons did you learn well i, I learned that as long as you serve your customer, so I learned personal lessons and business lessons. So the business lessons, some of the business lessons I learned was the market is never bad for a family advisor or for somebody advising a business, a business advisor. So a real estate agent is not somebody who sells real estate, but is somebody who advises families as they buy real estate. And so no matter what happens in the real estate market, people are always going to need advice on how to buy and sell homes. A loan officer doesn't sell mortgages. They advise people on how to make smart financial choices. So no matter if mortgages are up or down, if you're a loan officer who takes that approach, the consultative approach to your business, the market's never bad because people are always going to need advice. And so if you're in a B2B business like I was at the time, you can survive and even thrive. The market's never bad for a business advisor, for a B2B advisor. And so whatever your business is, you're not selling that product. You're selling the solution that the product creates for the customer. And, and so the solution is you're helping businesses grow or you're helping you know, businesses. Uh, in, in my case, I was helping loan officers learn about the, the financial markets and, and be smarter about you know how they approach their business. And so no matter what the market does, I'm always I can always survive and thrive in that environment if, if I look at myself as sort of as a trusted advisor. And um, and that's the number one business lesson I learned. And actually it's interesting I was I was reading um, I like to read a lot and recently I was reading uh, one of my favorite books recently was A Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Um, are you familiar with that one? No. So Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, wrote a memoir. And uh, in the memoir, he called it, the, the book is called Shoe Dog. Um, but he talks about a, a business trip that he made over to Vietnam. And uh, he met the Vietnamese general who uh, was an old man at the time, but he had single-handedly defeated the Americans, the Chinese, the Japanese, the French, everyone who had tried to invade, you know, all these huge superpowers had tried to invade. And he was this small little general in, inside of a jungle and he had defeated them all. And so Phil asked him, so 
how did you do it? How did you defeat all these superpowers who are much greater and powerful, more powerful than you? And he thought about the question, and then he looked at Phil and he says, you know, I became a professor of the jungle, a professor of the jungle. And it really taught me that, you know, if, if you're an expert in your market, no matter who your competitors are, they can't touch you. Like nobody should know your market, your clients, your product, your industry better than you do. And so if you become a professor of your jungle, then you can single-handedly defeat competitors that are 10, 15, 20, 100 times your size. And, you know, that was one of the most important business lessons I learned, not only during that time period, but in the years since. I mean, going back to where your business went from like uh, 4 million revenue to kind of dropping in 2007-2008, was there ever a moment where you didn't blame the market, but you blamed yourself saying that I'm not offering a good enough product? Or did you fully know that it was the market that was doing this? Well, both. Like you, you blame the market, but you know, if you take yourself seriously, like most people do, like I did, you, you blame yeah. yourself more than anything else, and so it it really impacts your self esteem. And you know, you think you know you're not good enough, and you know you should, you know, you're. It's like they call it the imposter syndrome, where you feel like you're an imposter, and so you begin questioning your value in the market. You say, well am I really providing a service that people need or do I need to just like go out of business here? I mean, wh why am I keeping this thing alive? And so there's this self-questioning process that you go through that's really important because it really helps you to ask yourself, do I really believe in what I'm doing or not? And if you don't, then you should really switch gears and try something else. But if you do believe in what you're doing, then it really makes you stronger. And, you know, I remember during those days, you know, I would, question myself and I would create content uh, to explain to people like what was happening in the market. And then I would get all these emails back saying, Oh, thank you so much for creating this content. It really helped me understand what's happening. And I would get these letters of gratitude from my clients. And, and, you know, it, it made me feel like, gosh, I am providing something that people need. And it helped me to sort of understand what my value was and then build on that. And so I said, if, if these people are finding value in my service, then surely there's other people like them that are out there that can also provide value. And then I began growing my business again. And in the years since I was able to, you know, double and triple the business since then. But, you know, it was, um, there's a time of soul searching that you go through and you, you got to really get clear on, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Number one, and number two, is what you're doing the right thing to do, or do you need to switch gears? I mean, that's, yeah, it sounds like a, a powerful thing, having those those select few that actually gave you the positive feedback. It, it seems like a world made a world of difference for you. Yeah, it did. And then we began becoming super hyper-focused on the client. So, you know, we had, at the time, uh, you know, 500, 500 members. So you went from 4,000 paying members to 500 paying members. And then we kind of plateaued at that level. And it was a profitable business at 500 members. But then we asked ourselves, so what do these people need that we're not providing them with that we can provide them with? So we surveyed our members and said, so, you know, what other services would you find value in? And not only that, but what other services are you needing um, that you're, that, 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 you know, um, 
that we might be able to provide you with. And so then that's how we started creating the technology. So then we went from being a sales training company to building technology products to support the the businesses of our members. And, you know, that's how we were able to grow the business again. One thing you, uh, you relate to me before we got on the mic was the idea that incompetent people can still make a lot of money in this business and how frustrating that is when you're committed to excellence. I mean, you dive a little bit deeper into to that kind of idea. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. There was uh, an article in The Economist magazine uh, just a couple of weeks ago about how all real estate agents in the U.S. are shysters, basically. <laughs> it was talking about how it's ungodly for realtors to make so much money because, like, in England, the average commission is 1%. And like, why do people need to pay 5% in real estate commissions in the US and 6% in some cases? And, and, and so there's all this you know, in, 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 the, in, the, in the real estate industry, in the mortgage industry, you can make a tremendous amount of money. And what most people don't understand is it's a privilege. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's something you should be grateful for. I mean, you can become a realtor and make a you know quarter million dollars to a half a million dollars, in some cases a million dollars a year as a real estate agent without even a college degree. And it takes, you know, doctors, you know, a dozen years to become a doctor, and they're two hundred fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt before they can make a quarter million to a half a million dollars a year. And yet, a lot of realtors and loan officers—not not the majority of them—but there are there's a population that just are very entitled and arrogant, and they're you know they're sloppy in their work. And you know, for the rest of the people that are out there that are doing the business well, it you know it it it's like a it's like a uh, a black eye for the industry. And so, I think what the industry needs to do is really get serious about cleaning up its ranks and saying you know. If you're going to be involved in this business, you really need to take it seriously and um, and get certified and you know do certain things like get educated and and have a commitment to excellence and you know and 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 so I think that um, that's one thing that you know a lot of our target market is is um, is loan officers who are really committed to excellence and uh, and that's one of the things that we like about working with our target audiences is not for everybody. Um, it, it's for the people who are really committed to excellence. And, um, and that's something that we're very passionate about. I mean, never working in the mortgage, mortgage field, working only in the real estate field and dealing with lease mortgage officers. Yeah. One thing I, I've, I've realized in the real estate field, is you can definitely fail forward in this over longevity. You can do a, a all right enough job kind of thing over the years and get that repeat business because when someone's when someone's doing a real estate transaction only five to seven years they probably don't know what kind of service you're giving them compared to what someone else is giving them yeah and i think that's been the case for uh you know at least through my career and probably through your career but what i'm seeing happen Vinny, is i'm seeing a shift because there's so many billions of dollars that are now being poured into uh, fintech companies and prop tech companies and you know real estate companies to improve the customer experience and um, and so I think that in the next five or six years or maybe even the next couple of years you know we're going to start seeing a shift where unless 
you know, if, if you're a loan officer or a realtor, unless you really have a hyper focus on your customer experience, then your database is susceptible to being stolen by um, by these other companies that are doing a better job because they just have a lot more money and resources than you do. And, uh, and so the easy money, I don't think is going to be there the way it has been in the past. And so um, I think it's just a, sort of a wake up call for the industry to say, hey, listen, if if I want to be a loan officer, not for the next two years, but for the next 20 years, or if I want to be a realtor, not just for the next two years, but for the next 20 years, I really got to be a professor of the jungle, so to speak, and, and really take my business seriously and become an expert in my market and my clients and, you know, get to know the customers better and, and uh, you know, have relationships with the customers in a way where, you know, you do things like an annual review. I mean, that's one thing that a lot of realtors don't do that I think they can do is, and even loan officers is just have a human conversation with your clients once a year and just, you know, take, pick up the phone and call your clients and say, Hey, you know, how are you liking the new house? And, you know, how's the family doing? And, you know, here's an update on what's happening in the housing market in your area. And, uh, you know, are you thinking about buying or selling real estate? Just maintaining the, the communication with the client and creating value for them during an annual conversation, very similarly to the way a financial planner, you know, talks to their customers on an, at least an annual basis and they do their annual review. Well, a realtor, you know, who's a professor of the jungle, so to speak, somebody who really is, you know, serious about their business can do the same thing with their database and, you know, have a conversation with each of their clients once a year and the same thing with loan officers and, and really just have a, you know, a conversation where exchanging value and finding out what is the customer need that you're, that you might be able to provide some value to them. I mean, I, this is, I mean, we usually veer into the idea of kind of one or two hurdles you've had to overcome. And I think you've already really dived into that, especially the 2007, 2008, where, I mean, you took a big hit on your, your, your business. Um, so we kind of already went into that factor. One thing that I'd really want to know though, is if you could talk to maybe someone in high school or maybe in college, just looking in to get into the mortgage industry, what kind of game plan would you give them? They're brand new, don't know anything about basically mortgages. What would you give the best advice for them to kind of work their way into this field? Well, that's a great question. And, uh, and that happened recently with uh, my brother several years ago. My younger brother was thinking of getting in, in the business and uh, was asking you know, for, uh, for my input. And I suggested that he goes and, and works under a top producer as his assistant and, uh, or as her assistant. Um, so there's a lot of producer, like producers in the business who've been a around a long time, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And, and they know an awful lot about not only the industry, but, you know, the things that you're not going to learn from a textbook, just about dealing with people. This is a people business. And so, you know, things go wrong in a real estate transaction and there's a right way and a wrong way to talk to the client about it. And, there's a right way or wrong way to, you know, communicate with people and keep them updated throughout the biggest financial transaction of their life. And that's something you're not going to learn from a textbook. And, and so find a top producer who's doing a good amount of business and work under them and learn the business for at least a year and, and then start taking over their book of business, you know, as their assistant and you can become their retirement plan. 
So, you know, take a top producer who's got a database of, I don't know, let's say 500 clients. Let's just kind of do the math. And according to the National Association of People of, of, of Realtors, uh, people move once every five—I'm sorry, once every nine years. So, 500 clients divided by nine years—that's 55 transactions a month. That if you are able to 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 do the best job at database marketing and having annual reviews with your clients, you're talking about 55 real estate transactions a year or four and a half a month. And that top producer who's been in the business for 20, 30 years, they might want to retire in a couple of years. But what are they going to do with their book of business, right? And so that becomes, you can become their retirement plan where they transition their book of business over to you, where you don't have to start from scratch and do cold calls. You're basically going into a situation where you can learn for a year or two and then have a built-in source of business for the rest of your career. And for me, that's the smartest way to get into this business. How do you how do you differentiate a, a, probably a, a top producer? Because you can Google online and find people's reviews, and that's pretty easy. Is there a way to actually verify that this person's producing the level that they're portraying they're producing? Well, I think in the real estate industry, you have um, your MLS system tells you how many transaction sides that a realtor has been involved in. Um, so yeah, that, I think the real estate side, you could probably pull it there, but the, what about the mortgage? Yeah, the mortgage side is a little bit more difficult. Um, for that, you'd have to, you know, actually see the person's production numbers. Um, so, for example, one of the things that we do in our CRM, so we have companies that use our CRM. We have a leaderboard in the CRM that shows the annual production of all the loan officers. And so uh, some companies make that information uh, public to the rest of the company because, um, you know, it creates some competition, which is really good. Uh, other companies, they keep that information private. Um, so if you're working in a larger organization, they might publish, you know, within the organization, a leaderboard of who the top producers are. Um, that might be one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is there's always these uh, top 200 lists that get published, you know, top 200 loan officers in the country where you can, um, you know, see who does the most volume. Um, and so that's another way of finding a top producer. Now, what's what's next? What's next for, for you, for your company? Where are you guys taking this? Well, it's a great question. I think for us, um, it's all about iterating our product in a way that is useful to our target audience. So um, we started as a sales training. We created the CRM. Our recent creation this last several months has been a mobile app. It took us about a year to build a mobile app. The mobile app is pretty darn cool. It, what it does is it, you know, most salespeople, they don't do a fantastic job of, of, of logging into their CRM and keeping track of their sales activities. So what we did is we created a mobile app where you can actually see on your app or your to-do list for the day and then voice record a note saying, hey, I just spoke with Vinny and we talked about a new home purchase in uh, Beverly Hills, and I'm going to follow up with him next week. Boom, you hit the end of the recording, and then basically it transcribes the note into your CRM and assigns a follow-up task for you to call Vinny again next week. So wow. we're trying to make it easier for our, our members to, uh, to use technology to grow their business. So for us, that's what's next, is, is things like the mobile app, you know, continuing to improve on that, 
You know, for instance, we just released a text message feature that allows you, um, you know, so for example, borrowers are a lot more uh, responsive to text messages than they are to emails. So if you need a, a document from the borrower saying, hey, you're, you're holding up closing, please send me your latest, you know, pay stub or whatever, they'll get it to you a lot quicker if you text them about it as opposed to emailing them. So we built a text message feature into our CRM where processors and loan officer assistants can text message their customers and it comes from a business number, so it doesn't come from the processor's personal cell phone. So things like that, you know, how do we use technology in a way to make people's lives easier? That's what's next for us. And if someone's listening right now and they're kind of curious about taking a look at the, the product, getting a demo, something like that, what's the best way of them uh, reaching out to yourself or checking out a, a website for a demo on this? Well, the best thing to do is to go to our website. It's momentify.com. Momentify is spelled with an I at the end because, you know, we're financial in the financial industry. Uh, so if you go to momentify.com, uh, then you can see there's really three products that we have. There's the CRM, there's the uh, mobile app, and then there's the uh, story selling suite, which is a, a, a sales training. So those are really our three main products. And if you want more information, uh, check out the website, momentify.com. I thank you for, for all the information, all the time you've given us. I, I appreciate your insight. And I mean, I think every avenue of your life that you've kind of walked us through, you had a game plan. Even it might have veered a little bit, yet you had a game plan again to get you back on there. I think that's one of probably the, the big takeaways for anyone listening right now is to always know what's next. Well, thank you, Vinny. I appreciate it. And I hope your listeners uh, found some uh, value and uh, certainly appreciate you having me on today. Thanks. Uh, everyone listening, please subscribe, please share. If you're looking to grow your business, you're in the mortgage field, go to the website. We're going to have that in the remarks uh, later on. So yeah, please, please take a listen, subscribe, and, and of course, tell your friends. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.